It's Fox Top 5, the podcast where the hosts always agree to disagree. This week, host of Bill Hammer Reports, Bill Hammer. Hammer. Deep into a story is where you find, you know, the direction for the story itself. And host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. Shannon Bream. It just from start to finish, I've never seen anything else like that. Come together to share their top five stories they covered as journalists. Here are this week's hosts, Bill and Shannon. Welcome to Fox Top 5. I'm Bill Hemmer, host of Bill Hemmer Reports and host of the podcast Hemmer Time. And today I'm joined by my friend, Shannon Bream. Hello, Shannon. It is great to hear your voice. Mr. Yeah, Hemmer. you too. Host of Fox News at Night, host of the podcast, Live in the Bream. And how are you living the Bream at home? You know what? I kind of <laughs> love it. Uh, I am very much a homebody, so I feel guilty because I like the being at home part. And I know for some people it is a serious struggle. But you know what? More time with the hubs, more time with the dog. I, I lo- Your dog's name is what? Biscuit Bream. That's oh my gosh. <laughs> Shannon Bream has never been in a bad mood. Um, I think I can go on record as saying that. I mean, I thought I was a positive, optimistic person, but you you, you put me to shame. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just trying to share the sunlight that emanates off of Mr. Bill Hemmer at all times. You're sweet. How's Sheldon doing? How's he doing? He's he's great. Yeah, he's great. Listen, he already worked from home, so he's showing me the ropes, and I sort of, you know, I could take calls for him, sort of be an assistant when he needs it. I'm here. That's great. You tell him I said hello, will you? And Biscuit also. So every week on this podcast, our our hosts and reporters and personalities, we get together and share our our top five on any given topic. So the news cycle, as you know, moving very fast. And as we see reporters everywhere stepping up to shed light on recent issues and cover a lot of really unprecedented historic events, uh, we look back at the same time and share our top stories that we have covered in the field. So then... I I did not put mine in a particular order, Ms. Bream. Okay. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Did you? I sort of did. Yeah. Okay. All right. I might follow as more of a time capsule. But you okay. got you start. Ladies first, always. Okay. Number five. What is your number five top story that you have covered? Now, listen, I spent many, many years in local news before I got to Fox and doing the national thing. And I have very serious stories on this list, but I wanted to start with one that was a little bit lighthearted because this was early on when I was in the business. I was working in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they sent us out one night. I was reporting for the 11 o'clock news for this big fire. And we got out there. We're talking to the homeowner, the fire crews are there, this, that, and the other. And the, the homeowner tells us, like, listen, I suspect that it was this guy who'd been doing repairs at our house. We got into dispute over fees or something. I think maybe he had something to do with this fire. So as I'm live on the air reporting on this whole thing, the guy drives up who'd been doing the work on the house. And he's like, hey, what's going on here? And the the fire authorities start talking to him, the firefighters and stuff. Their police were on the scene there too. find out he lets a few things slip that he obviously knew more about the fire than you would if you just drove Oh, uh, He did it. So while I'm reporting on the air, they cuff him and drag him <laughs> through my live shot as I'm reporting on this thing and stuff him in the police car and drive off. That's that's so pretty good. It I was w- just one of those local news. Yeah, I was not expecting that. <laughs> wow. There are some serious ones coming. What okay. I, I, I think my list is loaded with too serious, to be honest with you. But I went to the Wayback Machine for the first one, and and that was the election recount of 2000. 
And part of the reason why I wanted to bring this up with you is because you're a lawyer. You covered the U.S. Supreme Court. I thought for sure you would go to a U.S. Supreme Court case as as one of your first, but maybe that's oh, forthcoming. Fine. Well, the, the, the thing that was really tricky about it for me, 37 days in Tallahassee, was how many legal issues were present in front of us in real time. Mm-hmm. And having not been trained in law, I had to do double time to try and figure it out. So what I'm saying to you, Biscuit, is that I could have used your help back then in Tallahassee. So that was the first one I put on my list. I love it. You know, Tallahassee is my hometown. Mm. Oh, yes. And I, at that time, had been practicing law in Tampa, and that was the exact time I was crossing over into doing news. So people kept running to me in the newsroom like, hey, what does this mean? I wasn't really an on-air person yet. I was kind of, you know, trying to figure that out and, and not be terrible. Um, so I remember that because I would work weekends and two, cause I was just new at this, uh, at this, um, journalism thing. And so I'd work wherever they would put me and we would get the, the wires flashing again. The Florida state Supreme court has just done something. Oh, they just reversed this. Now it's, you know, I mean, it was, I, I'm quite sure that you nailed it. I have no doubt, doubt about it. That, but it was super confusing. <laughs> well, I, there were so many cases going on at the same time. Yes. It was kind of a legal ping pong. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because just when we would digest a decision from one court, another court that was one step up yes would then weigh in and it would throw everything we just reported into complete disarray there's so many details that you can recall from that i won't go into all of them but trying to trying to figure out voter intent what is Mm -hmm. is what most of these judges were trying to trying to interpret would you say that's fair yeah, and I think that we'll always have the image of the guy with the giant magnifying glass yes, and his yes. eyeball on the other side of the hanging chads trying to figure out what uh, was going on. That, that was a butterfly ballot. Number four. All right, here we go. Now, number four, back to the lady. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I have here uh, the original election night of President Obama. Uh, I was there in Grant Park in Chicago, uh, November of 2008, about a quarter million people were crowding in there. I was working the very glamorous overnight shift. So I was on my way walking back that evening to Grant Park uh, to pick up the overnight shift and reporting. And um, I remember being behind this African-American woman with her young son. They were walking to the park uh, to see the speech that then elect, um, President-elect Obama was going to give. And she was so overwhelmed with emotion and trying to explain to her young son what this meant. And there was such a feeling in that park of people who we were all watching history. It was the first time that the American people had ever done this. And just to see her trying to explain to her young son what it meant for him, what it meant for the country. It was one of those moments that just was burned into my mind. I'll always remember that night. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was quite historical. Yeah, I really, um, yeah, all watching at home or on our monitors or at work. Yeah, we remember that. But to be there, that mm-hmm. had to be quite remarkable. Really, mm-hmm. that's, that's great stuff. I, I put down 9-11, but not for oh, the yeah. reasons you would think. Okay. Um, and there are so many reasons where you could list 9-11. Mm-hmm. But I put it down based on my own personal experience in Kandahar. And wow. having been at the airbase there with the what I consider the original blueprint for the war on terror, mm-hmm. and I I was not enlisted, um, and I had the opportunity to get to know our Marines and our Navy SEALs and 
uh, our Army Rangers as husbands and fathers and brothers and uncles and mm-hmm. to live side by side with them, to go to bed and wake up and to live and to eat and, and to be there and to get to know them as human beings um, had a profound effect on me and the way I look at how they do their job. So I, I put that down as number two, not, not any particular order here, but mm-hmm. that was the second one I came up with. Yeah, I mean, we have been so fortunate in our years of doing news, um, whether it's local or at national level now, um, to interact with the military quite a bit. And you meet these people, and so often they are young. Um, and yeah, when you can talk to them as husbands and wives and um, knowing that there are people at home waiting for them. And I, you know, listen, I have a lot of military in my family, and I think the family serves right along with them. Um, but just to see what their real life is like in the day in and day out, and knowing that these are voluntary forces, um, it's very complex. So you I'm know sure it. You, you know it after having grown up with it. Yeah, and I'm sure you, you know, being there on the ground, it just makes you, it personalizes it in a different way to think, I Gosh, agree. while we go to bed every night, these people are all over the world doing this stuff mm-hmm. voluntarily. And the other thing I think of 19 years later is the way... You know, that that was really, and this is a longer conversation for another time, Shannon, but that was the time when America learned how to fight again because, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was Vietnam and what grew out of Vietnam and, you know, the pains the country went through to extract mm-hmm. ourselves from that conflict, there were very few moments like Grenada, 1983, I guess, in the fall. Um, mm-hmm. There was Somalia, you know, coming up on the beach. Um and there was an air war over Macedonia, 99. So this was, you know, well, I guess you had the first Gulf War, but that did not last long. But this was the beginning of how America learned how to fight again. And you should look back now, 19 years later, the, the strides the military has made with such a small percentage of them doing the job for all of us. That's, mm-hmm. that's remarkable. So anyway, I put that down. You go now. You got a steel trap for a mind, Hummer. I mean, no one's going to challenge that. Just (laughs) rattling off the dates, the conflicts. I mean, the man's an encyclopedia, which helps when you're doing news. And you often have breaking news in your hour, too. You're one of the best top dancers. Well, listen, thank you for thank you for saying that. Uh, I will not accept your um, your um, honor. But what I will say (laughs) is I've considered that a lot. And uh, I think it really reflects America's growth. I will say Mm -hmm. that. The countdown continues after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Number three. Okay. All right, now here we go. Come on. I I told you I had some serious stuff on the list. Me too. This is probably one of the toughest stories that I covered um, I'm usually able to just let things go when I leave work. Not always, because we cover a lot of heavy stuff. But I covered the Kermit Gosnell trial in Philadelphia mm. in May of 2013. And this is the guy who was, um, listen, they stumbled upon what was going on at his clinic where he performed abortions. Um, and it was originally a completely different investigation about potential prescription drug abuse, that kind of thing. The investigators stumble into the situation. What they found shocked everyone. And what we learned during the trial is, you know, there were even different um, waiting rooms for different, what he would assess Dr. Grosnell as different classes of people based on what they could pay or where, where they were from. I mean, it was just so horrific to find out what's going on. Here's the thing. I lived in Philly off and on for months. I would just hop on the train uh-huh. here in DC and go up and cover this thing. Molly Henneberg, one of our former colleagues, um, she and I covered this thing together. 
And every day for a month, this trial was going on. And we stood on the corner outside of the courthouse and would you know, do the reports. It was a hard story to get on the air because it is not fun to talk about. It is graphic. It was really tough. Um, and every day we would stand out there and do our live shots. And I'm telling you, a month into this thing, I had people stop me every day like, hey, what are you guys reporting on? What are you doing out here? And I would say, oh, we're covering the case of you know, Dr. Gosnell. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And they, they had never heard of it had no idea what the case was about. Uh-huh. Um, he was eventually convicted on three counts of murder, one count uh, involuntary manslaughter, a lot of lesser counts, um, because um, he was accused of and convicted of uh, actually delivering live babies and then killing them. So, I mean, it, it's just horrible to think about. I had nightmares about this. The testimony was so graphic. It was a very important story to cover, but it, it was really um, illuminating to me how much it wasn't being covered and just that um it was a sleeper it was kind of buried and even the people of philadelphia as this thing went on for weeks knew nothing about it so it was an odd experience but it was one of the ones that it was very hard to shake very very interesting um the one i put down is the newtown massacre at sandy hook yeah and the reason i put down i was just listening to you talk about the details in that story to be a good reporter, you have to pay attention to the detail. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, deep into a story is where you find, you know, the direction for the story itself. Um, but it takes time to read deeply. You, you would agree with that, right? And, oh, yeah. And especially, yeah, when there are so many um, conflicting uh, reports or different eyewitness accounts or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, the details yeah. make all the difference. And so the, the details in Newtown that were so disturbing mm. to me happened on a Saturday afternoon. And it was when really, uh, you remember, remember now this is mid-December, we're getting ready for the holiday season, mm-hmm. and it was just so, so awful in every aspect. Um, the coroner had a press conference, and I'm not going to go into this, but you know, as a reporter, you're forced to listen to it. And right. coroners, they, they have a different calling. They... They understand human life in ways that we really, we don't, and they view it differently. And it was just so matter of fact in the way that he talked about these young children that it really just, uh, it did not make for a, um, what did you say? You had a lot of sleepless nights. Is that what you said? I did. I actually had nightmares about that case. I mean, when you, when it, when it the shows up in, in your subconscious. The, yeah, the, the one, one in, in Philly. One in Philly. And yeah, so that, that that's, uh, I, I put that on the list only because it's something that I will never get out of my mm-hmm. own mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the details for how five and six-year-old kids, you know, left yeah. this earth. So anyway. That was, that's one that I think, um, yeah. I shall we, shall we pick, shall we pick up the room? Okay, let's do that. <laughs> Number two. two. Uh, now, listen, you know I had to include at least one Supreme Court case, and I would have done all five Supreme Court cases. I know you would have. That's what I like, yes. but I'm trying to branch out here. <laughs> so I put in March of 2012 when we covered the original Obamacare cases. Um, it was insane because, you know, normally a case is one hour. You got 60 minutes, both uh-huh. sides get 30 minutes, and that's it. This thing went on for three days, and it was a madhouse. I mean, thousands and thousands of people packing the streets out there. Um, around the court every time there was a break and we'd run out people what happened because you know it's a very limited seat to get inside the supreme court there are no live cameras or anything else 
I remember um, it seemed like early on the arguments were not going well for uh, the Obama administration. Um, their lawyer who was making most of the arguments was, you know, struggling, dry mouth and choking and I was just having a tough time with the justices. And I remember looking over and seeing one of the Democratic senators who was packed in there in one of the front rows saying, we lost. That's it. Mm. We can't win this case. Um, so for three days of that, and we did our live shows, um, I was going in for breath that week. I remember on the 6 p.m. show and we were able to set up our shows to do them outside the Supreme Court. So for days just to see these crowds packed out there and then, you know, to wait months later to get the opinion, um, it just from start to finish, I've never seen anything else like that at the Supreme Court. And to later find out the backstory and the fact that the chief justice was working on two different opinions. Both sides in the split thought he was with them. And he was at some point with the two different sides. Whoa. He ultimately informed the conservative wing that he was going to vote the other way. And Justice Kennedy, the one that everybody thought was going to be the swing vote on that case, tried valiantly to bring Roberts back to their side. There was one point where they thought they had an argument with him, that he was going to listen to them and could be persuaded to come back. So they all, um, they weren't all in D.C., but they all rushed back to D.C. to try to have this conversation with the chief justice, the conservatives to try to salvage this thing and, and put a stake through the heart of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Right. Um, and upon having that conversation with them, quickly realized they weren't going to be able to do it. Um, so listen, when, when it rolled out in June later that year, uh, again, it was a day with thousands of people packed out there. You could have heard a pin drop as those opinions were running out, uh, as our runners do, they grab the hard copies and run them out to us at the cameras. And it just was, um, of all the cases I've covered there, certainly the most momentous. Yeah. Yes. I remember watching that. Mm-hmm. I mean, such drama and, and, and you, time. but you are forced to read the decision live on mm-hmm. TV. How do you how do you do that? Learn some lessons there because if you go by the first well, few pages, well, do you allow, sorry, do you look for keywords or or do you go you know to what? what do you former, do? Our former colleague Greta Van Susteren taught me the best trick. If you turn to the dissent and see who wrote the dissent and who's grouped together there, it actually gives you a much clearer picture of who won and lost. That's huh. one of her inside tricks, and it actually really works well. I hope I never have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you would nail it. I doubt it. <laughs> Uh, the other one, I, uh, the other one I put down. This is kind of a bummer too, but uh, the earthquake in Haiti is something that we flew down to. It was mm. very difficult to access, mm-hmm. and it was, um, uh, it was a, it was a rough scene for a long time. And I just, uh, I think Shannon, a lot of times in our jobs, a little bit, we get a little post traumatic stress, and I don't think we really admit it. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. we're taught as reporters, if you really want to do your job well, to make sure that your mind works. You want to keep the emotions well away from your brain, you know, we'll keep it at arm's length, right? Uh, thick skin, yeah. broad shoulders. But that was, that was, that I, I was, something, something hit me down there. And I just thought these people have so little to begin with. Mm-hmm. And their governments have failed them repeatedly over and over and year and decade after decade. That to be treated with this level of fate on behalf of Mother Nature, I just found it to be highly unfair. And it had a profound effect on me because I, I, I you know, Shannon, I don't know, I, I, I can muscle through most things. But that, that one was, um, that was a tough one for me. So anyway, mm-hmm. I put that as number four and I, I return serve to you, my Okay. Number. 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 Number one. Five. Number one. 
All right, now I gotta say the most interesting and craziest story probably that I've covered uh, in recent memory is the confirmation of Justice Kavanaugh. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, you have these little sky boxes uh, around the hearing room where there's glass there. You can pipe the audio from down in the in the control, well, in the hearing room, up into the sky box where you are. You have your TV camera set up there, uh, and you report and you do your thing. I, within ten seconds of uh, Chuck Grassley, who was then the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, saying we meet here today to begin to talk about the whatever of Brett Kavanaugh. Immediately, the other um, senators, a number of Democratic senators, spoke up and said, no, we object in this, that, and the other. They start talking over each other. I mean, it was, I'm like, whoa, what is happening down there? Because this is probably the fourth confirmation I've covered. And from that minute on, for weeks and weeks from there, it got progressively more chaotic, more heated, more passionate on all sides. I, I got to the point where I just pulled open the glass windows. I was like, forget having this piped in. I want to be able to look down here and see all of this for myself. And they allow spaces for people to come in, public uh, of the public, to sit in the room. Um, and it became like a bingo game. We would look down when they bring people in and be like, that one's definitely going to jump up. That's definitely a protester. And that one looks kind of boring, probably just really here to hear the uh-huh. hearing. But I mean, for days this went on of people uh, jumping up. I mean, sometimes one right after the other, mm-hmm. after the other, um, yelling out, you're killing democracy. And... You know, I mean, it was so. Like were no you Senate hearing I've ever seen w- with you and your crew? Were you taking bets on who was going to go next? Oh yeah, we definitely had a little bingo game going. Like, I take that one, I take that one. Did you win? I mean, and, uh, yeah, because it got very easy to spot who was up to you know shenanigans. That that's but the bream. Then, that's the bream. I know. Keep going. The shenanigans, shenanigans. But listen, outside of the hearing room, as this went weeks and weeks and weeks, and the Christine Blasey Ford letter shows up, and now that when he was on the cusp of being uh, confirmed, that now delayed it um, for a whole new set of uh, investigations and allegations, and you know how the pylon continued there. Yeah. But I mean, to walk the halls of the Senate during that time, um, the senators didn't feel safe, regardless of what side of the aisle they were on. They had protective. Um, you know, officers with them. They had people who would scream at them, chase them into the elevators who they couldn't get to the floor to vote. They would literally need a security detail to get them to the floor to vote. Um, And not to mention the crowds that were rallying outside the Supreme Court who um, were breaking just about all the rules and they got a lot of rules over there. Um, It was just... That was a hot time. Heated moment. Yeah. Wow. I I think you're going to kill me for this. Uh-oh. The the fifth one I put down was 2020. Oh boy! I think about it. It's <laughs> I mean, June. <laughs> hey, Bream, you've got uh, impeachment in January. Hard to believe it was you, just this year. You've got COVID in March. Mm-hmm. You've got the ongoing matter with the death of George Floyd. Yep. You've got the ongoing matter of the economy, and you've got a looming election. And the election was the only freaking thing on the calendar oh, when we started insane. the year. Insane. So th- that's why I put 2020 down to make my top five at the Listen, moment. Listen, don't forget the murder hornets, and now we have our first hurricane <laughs> off the coast of Texas. I mean, like, 2020 is just, um, you know, I, I we're going to be very happy to ring it out, and hopefully 2021 brings more peace uh, and better happy news. Yeah, here's to that, right? Good to be with you, Shannon. And... Um, yeah, yeah, we, we should chat like this more often. Listen, Bream, we got we you too. Um, best of biscuit, <laughs> best of shell, and Thanks. we've got a ways to go in 2020. Okay, I mean, we got seven more months, so who knows what happens yeah. by then? 
Well, listen, you be safe up there in the Big Apple. Thank you. And we'll see you on the road. Hopefully, hey, thanks everybody who joined us for this conversation. For sure. By the way, you can subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Five stars, I would recommend. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at foxnewspodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you what your top five stories are. That's it for us now, Hammer. That's cool. Nice to be with you, Shannon. You too. You've been listening to Fox Top 5 on the Fox News Podcast Network. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.